Y'all may be seated. I enjoyed that. I haven't heard that before, but I love that song. And it goes right, around, right along with the message today. Um, so I'm, I love when that happens too. For uh, those of you who've been here the last couple of weeks or have watched online, uh, you already know that we've been in the book of Acts, uh, actually known as the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, it comes, the book comes right after uh, the Gospels, and uh, we're going to continue on in that. As Jay and I went through um, vacation Bible school back in June, and we were teaching some of uh, the lessons out of the book of Acts to the different ages of children, we began to realize that not only children, a lot of the adults don't know uh, what happened in the very early days of the church. And, uh, and so we decided, gosh, why don't we speak a little bit on that? So we've been moving through uh, the book of Acts, and, uh, and we're in uh, this day, we'll be in the eighth chapter. You and I, we all have people in our lives that influence us, some for the good, uh, maybe some less uh, good, uh, but there are experiences, influences that mold us and shape us uh, into who we are. And, uh, and as I look back over my life, I see coaches, a lot of coaches in my life that had a profound influence on me. Some of them amazing coaches that invested in me. Some of them maybe that were a little too rough and I had to get past uh, some uh, negative thoughts about them. Uh, but, but some amazing people who actually took time with me and invested in me. Uh, some Sunday school teachers, uh, some people who were uh, actively involved and allowed youngsters to come into their house and invaded their house uh, every Sunday night for Bible study on Sunday night uh, that had a huge uh, profound impact on me. You have people like that who have impacted you too, whether it's uh, parents or uh, other family members or friends or parents of friends, teachers, whoever is in your life um, that you can look back on and see who has mold, molded you and shaped you. I want to come back around uh, to that who has shared knowledge and who's actually helped you within the faith uh, to, to actually consider things and to question things and to cause you uh, to go deeper uh, into your faith of Jesus Christ. As we look at the book of Acts, uh, we're going to look today about a man named Philip. And uh, we're going to start with actually reading uh, the first eight verses, talk a little bit about that, and pick up towards the end of the chapter, because this is a very interesting story uh, that sometimes uh, isn't really highlighted a whole lot, and, uh, and yet uh, is important for us to know. And we'll get to the importance of why right as we're getting into the chapter itself. So read along with me as I read aloud, starting with verse 1. Well, before we start with the first one, I'll tell you about uh, chapter 7, 6 and 7, was Stephen. So if you missed it, uh, last week Jay was in here and he was talking about the life of Stephen and, uh, and um, Stephen actually getting stoned and uh, known as the first martyr. Uh, you know, and uh, I actually talked about instead of Stephen really being known as the first martyr, how amazing if you looked in the life of Stephen, he's recorded as a person full of the Holy Spirit. And so even more importantly, how he died or why he died is how he lived and, and, and what he lived for. And so, um, but at the close of that uh, is, is this terrible, terrible picture of Stephen getting stoned. And that's when then we pick up uh, uh, with verse 1. And Saul approved of the killing of Stephen. On that day, that actual day, 
of persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. So amazing things happened immediately following Stephen's death. You know, Paul uh, gets a little bit revved up, and he's going from house to house. But uh, Philip, and there's several Philips in the Bible. Philip is one of those that was chosen. He's not one of the uh, of like the, the the disciples. He was one that was chosen alongside Stephen to help uh, take care of the widows and some other necessary things. Uh, and so he was known as a person of great wisdom. And again, the scriptures refer to full of the Holy Spirit. And as though Saul is getting revved up and is going from house to house looking for people, uh, Philip begins to speak more and more about Jesus, and signs are happening, and people are still seeing and witnessing miracles performed. That last sentence, paralyzed people, lame were healed. People were actually shrieking as spirits, uh, spirits were coming out of them, and it was um, an amazing sight, I am sure, to behold. And so here we see, though, uh, something amazing happening, and yet God has a mission for Philip that's altogether very different. It's as though this type of revival is happening right there in uh, Samaria. As Philip is talking, groups and groups of people are coming around. Everybody's stirred around and talking about what is going on. And then Philip is asked to leave that area. God has a mission for him, and that's what we're actually going to look at today. The mission that God had, uh, and it's known as, in the scriptures, Philip and the Ethiopian. And so we'll jump, actually, then to the 26th verse, because I think it's important for us to know, instead of for me just to stand up here and retell you the story, to actually read the story. Jay and I have been encouraging you if, you, if you, if you want something extra to throw into your summer reading list that's easy it's the book of Acts. It would be less than 30 pages of a normal-sized book uh, to move through that story of the early church developing. So verse 26, then, is this mission that God sends Philip on. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandak, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Kandusi is actually how you are say it, uh, enunciate it. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. 
Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Philip asked, Do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of, me, of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So I want to push pause there because it's important to look at what's happening right there in the life of, of Philip and the Ethiopian. He's a foreigner. He's also a, a, a high official uh, working for a condesi who uh, had great authority. She uh, was queen of the area. And so or not that area, but where he had come from. And so a person of authority, a person who had great influence on a lot of people is who Philip comes upon. We'll look at the submission that Philip had, the seeker, the Ethiopian, the Spirit's direction, and then the Scriptures. One of the first things when I read that, I think of uh, the, the significance of Peter's submis submission to God to the will of God. Uh, you know, a lot of times when we have small decisions, uh, we don't necessarily uh, take time and spend hours and hours upon small decisions. We go about it in a general direction, realizing some basic principles or how God wants us to move about and to behave and to, to make decisions. And yet, in other times, even in day-to-day -day stuff, we are to actually spend time uh, seeking God on decisions and his will and for his will to be clear to us regarding a situation. When we get down to decisions, we have a choice then that we can do God's will and obey him or do something else. And here we see Philip being very submissive, uh, very, <coughs> excuse me, very obedient. Philip doesn't say, uh, you know, wait a minute, why would you have me go along this road? This goes into the desert, which actually uh, is a desert road. It's still a desert area uh, in the area of Gaza right now. It's a hot place, uh, and actually it says the word going south, and so it's actually meaning south of the day, so around the noontime and, and afterwards, which would mean actually literally in the heat of the day that God is asking Philip to go down this road instead of the common pathway that would be a lot of visitors. And here he's saying, you know, go down this. Philip's probably thinking, I'm not going to bump into anybody because this is the hottest place to travel. And yet, God knew better. He knew he had a mission for Philip. That was uh, this, uh, another thing that's noticing is that God doesn't lay out, here, you're going to go down this road, you're going to meet this, this guy, he's going to meet an Ethiopian, you're going to immediately know he's foreigner, you're going to probably figure out by the entourage that around him that he's a high official. He's not telling him all those details, he just sends him on a mission, but Philip is like, okay, 
I don't know why, but I'm sensing a nudging from God that, yes, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is where I'm supposed to go, and so I'm going to obey. I'm going to follow. I think that that's, that's an important thing to remember, a nudging from the Spirit. And the question is for you and for me, are we open and available to have nudgings from God? One of the things that we actually use, uh, a phrase we actually use a lot here at Richmond Hill in our staff meetings, particularly around Vacation Bible School and at JAM, but all around, we talk about looking for God moments. Where was your God moment today? Where was your God moment this week? Are our eyes keen enough to be actually looking for God moments? And here, I mean, Philip might not have used that language, but here it is that when God says, go down this way, and it's into the desert to go down that path, uh, he just obeys him. He's taking this nudging from God, and he's obedient. And so here, when he comes upon, though, the eunuch, and he's hearing that the words of Isaiah, and this significant uh, passage of Isaiah that he's reading, and Philip hears it. The other thing to actually remember is that as Philip sees this chariot, he has to realize it's also not common when you're uh, told or sensed a nudging from the Spirit of God to go up near the chariot, that that could be risky that that could be seen as aggressive as something that could even be hostile. And so it could be, you know, a negative experience. But again, as Philip's sensing, this is not something I'm thinking in my head. I'm literally sensing God is leading me to go to this chariot. He goes and he hears this man saying aloud the readings of Isaiah. And it's not just any passage from Isaiah. The significant part of Isaiah is the one that I read. It's also from chapter 56. And listen to the words of, of that particular passage that the Ethiopian is reading. Now, verses 3 through 8, I'm going to read uh, three verses of that. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch, which he was, say, Here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give my house and within my walls a place and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name and they shall not be cut off. And so here's this passage from a foreigner, not even just a foreigner, but a eunuch, and he's reading these things, and he's perplexed, and what is he talking about? That passage also says, For my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. It's significant here because as Philip is hearing those words, it's as though you can read through between the lines, his heart starts beating faster. Does this man understand what he's reading? Does he understand what has happened through the person of Jesus Christ the Messiah? And so he asks the question, do you get it? And then this man is open because he is seeking. And how do we know he's seeking? Because he's already been to Jerusalem. But he didn't really get to be welcomed and received because of all the religious laws that were at the temple about foreigners and eunuchs particularly. And so with all those laws that he couldn't get past, he didn't have this 
uh, sensation or this experience or this understanding that helped him understand this book that he happened to either buy or was given, the book of Isaiah, and he has these questions. And so when he's asked the question, do you understand what you're reading? He invites Philip to explain it to him. And I guess when I particularly read that question as I was thinking about today and I was looking at this whole passage, I was wondering how often are we open to have a conversation with someone about faith? Someone sitting by themselves uh, in a diner or just someone that you're drawn to and you don't really know why you're seeing them. How many people come and go when we don't really look at their face or we don't see them, but all of a sudden your eyes draw past someone and you take a different, a second look, like, huh, and you notice. And you're more alert and you're aware. Could it be at that moment that we lift up a prayer, God, what is it that you would have me do? Literally, it's as though we're reading that Philip's God moment was, what do you want me to do? I'll go up to the chariot. And as he was sensing an opportunity to share about the really, really good news of Jesus Christ, he took that opportunity. And as then the man could hear all about the prophecy being fulfilled from the book of Isaiah into the life of Jesus, the man says, I want to be baptized. I believe. How often do we have God moments? How often could we have even more God moments if we're available? If we actually let our mind be in a state of prayer, God, use me. God, I want to be available. God, I come in contact with different people, and I don't know their background, but you know their background. I have very limited knowledge, whether it's students that I care for, whether it's, it's uh, athletes that I coach, whether it's people that I teach band, whether it's te people that I teach math or English or science or whatever it is that we're a part of, people that I work with that I don't know what goes on behind closed doors. I don't have a clue what goes on in people's home life. Lord, I don't know that knowledge. It's private. And we Americans are very private people. And so if we don't have that knowledge, who can we pray to that does have that knowledge? Of how God might speak a word of peace, of kindness, of compassion, of love into someone else's life. If we're open, if we're willing to be submissive, if we're actually looking for God moments. And that takes saying, God, give me eyes to see. It actually takes us praying, God, give me ears to hear. And then the third part of that prayer, I think, is God, give me the courage enough to obey. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, it is tricky right now. Lord have mercy, we're living still in a hotbed of politics. And you don't know when you might say something that's going to be offensive to somebody on either side of the aisle. And so we want to stay guarded and and not speak too much about anything that's controversial. But the scriptures here is not talking about something's controversial. He didn't get up in the chariot and start talking about the politics of the queen of Condesee. He didn't start talking about any of that. He was talking about the message of Christ. And who he proclaimed to be 
And my goodness, that is what's ever before us right now. Uh, uh, for us to have the ability, the opportunity, the willingness, the courage to share of the message of Jesus Christ. That he was the Son of God, the Son of Man, and the Son of God. That he is the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the person that can truly transform a life, that truly can put someone on a different path altogether and create freedoms that a person might not ever know before, who might bring hope or health or, for goodness sake, a little bit of joy in somebody's life. We look at the life of Philip, and when we consider the fact that he was available and he was submissive to the will of God, to the nudgings of God, may it be for you and me that we might be available, that when we sense a nudging from the Spirit of Almighty God, that we would tune in, that we would dial it in and say, Lord, use me. It's with uh, that opportunity that Philip took that then the Ethiopian made a confession with his mouth. In that passage, it says that, uh, it, it, it describes of Philip, it says, uh, and then his mouth opened. And it was, when you read it, and you're sort of reading it literally the first time, you, you might miss that because it's like, well, how did he communicate before? I mean, was he giving him the sign language, or, you know, was he doing his chin? I mean, how was, you know, it was like he was using his mouth before, but there was significance. It was like as when his mouth opened. It was like the spirit is, the, the scriptures are saying that then the spirit began to use that mouthpiece and his mouth opened and God was able to use him. And then it says, as God used Philip to speak truth about the spirit of God and who Jesus Christ is, that the Ethiopian opened his mouth and made a confession, I believe and I want to be baptized. How powerful I think that we could have an influence upon other people in our life, both people we're close to and even strangers, if we are willing to be available to the Spirit of God. Let's go to God in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the life of Philip. We thank you that it's it's right here in, in, the, in the beginning parts of the book of Acts that we can look and see how uh, he was wanting to be used by you. He was wanting to be your vessel. He was wanting to share uh, truly the good news of, of Jesus. Father, may we have a same desire. May we have that desire because we've actually been uh, in communication and conversation with you, that we've not only felt the nudgings to be used of you, we've just felt the nudgings of the Spirit saying, I'm with you today. I'm holding you steadfast today. I'm in loving and encouraging you today. I'm strengthening and undergirding you today. That as we hear those words to ourselves and our own soul and our own spirit, that we're able to be a vessel and a conduit so others can hear that too. God, it is our prayer that we have eyes to see, 
and ears to hear and hearts to obey. We pray this in the powerful and precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.